I'd like to celebrate that the children have successfully left. We did it. It's the grown-ups now. Um, it's kind of weird, but kind of fun to be in church on a New Year's morning. It was funny, so last week was, was Christmas morning, for those of you who braved it and made it out. And... Um, and afterward, Kristen Kelly came up to me and she goes, you know, that was kind of nice to be in church because you did like the craziness of the, of the Christmas tree and then you had this little pause at 11. And then you went back to the craziness after that. And we forget because we've made all of these holidays so much about family and craziness and busyness. And trust me, like me too, y'all. <laughs> I've done all of this. Because we've done that, we forgot that all these were originally sacred days. Right? So you would originally observe Christmas by going to church all night and then going to church the next day. There wasn't trying to like fit it into your schedule. And so then we get, when we get a taste of it again, we can remember that grounding our lives in the sacred truths then helps ground the rest of our lives that follow. Grounding our lives and our faith then helps ground our family, our work, all of the other things that fill up our lives. And we remember that a little bit when Sundays fall on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Today, January 1st, 2023, so glad I got the year right. I got the year wrong several times in the last week because I have kids and that's where my brain is. Um, I want to talk about the concept of covenant. Covenant is incredibly important in the story of scripture. Uh, covenant is the means that God used to put in place his plan of salvation. So, we all know humans messed everything up with Genesis 3, and this brokenness went into the, the very kind of DNA of creation, DNA of the human creature. And this, kind of, this deep-seated brokenness of the world is what God came to fix. We call it the curse. And it, it goes into the depths of everything that you see that's wrong in the world and everything you see that's wrong in yourself and everything you see that's wrong in your relationship that's what human, Christians call the curse. It's, it's, it's um, not part of the original design. And the plan of salvation is the ultimate fixing of, releasing of the curse, fixing of the world, to bring about a new creation in which everything is the way it is meant to be. And the way God did that was he put in place these covenants. Now, covenant was an ancient term. For a legal treaty, it was a kind of a, a, um, a legal agreement that formed a fictional kinship where there was indeed no kinship. So people who were not related would call each other brothers and would form this covenant to become brothers or to become father-son or to have some other kind of relationship established among them. Because in the, in the ancient world where this concept um, originated, they knew how to react within families, within tribes, but between tribes... There, there was nothing to govern behavior. So how do, what do you do? You come up with a fictive kinship, a covenant. And so God said, okay, I'm going to use this concept. And he created several of these covenants. There's four across the course of the Old Testament. And then when you come into the New Testament, Jesus starts talking about a new covenant. And you look at the Old Testament, it starts with Noah. When God, after Noah, do you remember there was, there was this covenant with the whole earth? The sign of the rainbow, I will never again destroy the earth by flood. And the symbol of that, I don't know if you ever thought about what a bow looks like that was an ancient weapon of war. We think of a bow as old-fashioned. It was incredibly technologically advanced in the era in which that story was written. 
And so this image of the bow, God's weapon of war, set in the clouds, meaning it's pointed away from the earth. In other words, the, the gist of this covenant with all of the earth is, I am not your enemy. I am not your enemy. And everything that's going to happen is going to, you might not like all of it, but I am not your enemy. Everything that's going to happen, I'm going to work for the redemption of the creation that I created and that I love. And that was the first covenant with Noah. And then comes Abraham. And so God, in his plan, decides to focus in on a particular person, which then becomes a particular family, which then becomes a particular tribe. And the covenant with Abraham was, go from your land, from your father's house, to a land where I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, and through you the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so it was a covenant with a person, with a tribe, with a people, to become the vehicle of blessing for the world. Remember that first covenant was, was with the whole world. This covenant said, okay, I'm going to need a people to work through. And these people that I work through are going to become the vehicle of blessing to the world. And so we have the Abrahamic covenant that created the people of Israel. And then you go a little bit farther and the people of Israel have become a people, 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes are enslaved in Egypt and when God rescues them from Egypt, as a part of that um, bringing down the power of the world symbolized by Pharaoh and rescuing his people, he takes them to Mount Sinai and he creates a covenant with them to make them into a nation, to make them from a people into a nation. And this is a covenant that has more um, requirements for the other side. So the other two covenants... God did most of it himself, or all of it himself. These covenants, the Mosaic covenant, God gives them a law. And so the covenant made with Sinai, with all of these people, is I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you the promised land, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to protect you. And in return, you are going to do this. And he gave them a whole law, starting with the Ten Commandments and then going on from there. You are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You are going to keep, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You are going to, I'm going to stop now because I can't actually list them all. But you know them, right? You, the Ten Commandments and then it goes on for the rest of this very, very detailed Mosaic law. All of that was considered the covenant. And when the people kept the covenant, when they cared for the land, when they worshipped appropriately, when they cared for the poor, when they kept all of those commandments, then they were keeping the covenant. And as the story goes, because they were still heirs of Genesis 3, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They failed over and over and over, and over again. And then finally, because they had broken their side of the covenant so terribly, God broke his side of the covenant and took the land away, and they were removed from the land. They were exiled. But during the time they were in the land, there was one more covenant that was made. And this was the one of kingship. When they were in the land, they begged for a king. And most of the kings that they got were rotten. God started it out with, I'm going to be your king. What was wrong with me? <laughs> and then as they begged and begged and begged and begged, he finally gave them a king. And then one of the kings that they had, one of the good ones, he made a covenant with that king. It was King David. And the covenant was this, I will give you a good king. And somebody will sit 
After my heart will sit on the throne of David forever. You will not be without leadership. You will not be without good authority. You will not be left alone, unprotected, and leaderless in this world. I will give you a true king. Those are the four covenants. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. And then with the exile, everything just sort of washes away. And Israel wallows in existential doubt for quite a long time about how to, what they're supposed to do now, what God is supposed to do now. And what Christians believe is that when Jesus came, Jesus established the fifth covenant. And the fifth covenant was the culmination of all the previous ones. The fifth covenant fulfilled the perfect, um, the, fulfilled the law completely so that the Mosaic covenant was finally completed, finally fulfilled, kept the part of the law that the humans were supposed to keep, kept it perfectly. Um, Christians believe that this fifth covenant with Jesus when he came, he was Israel, he did everything that God had asked of humanity, but then he, he did what humans couldn't do. And in giving himself for the cross, he actually broke this ancient power that had been holding humanity for so many centuries, for so many ages. The power was broken, and then in the resurrection, he was able to invite all of creation into a new covenant. All of creation to the new covenant. So this is why when he was sitting at the table with his friends, and he held up this cup. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what happened when Jesus came was the formation of a new covenant, a new way in which God was going to work on the earth. And this is how it worked. By grace, people were invited into a new relationship. By grace, people were invited into a new way of being. They were invited into a community, and this community was held to standards, was held to behavioral standards, and yet was governed by the grace of God, was invited by the grace of God. And because of what Jesus had done, this community was empowered to live in a way that humans previously had never been able to live. Because because of the grace of the God, this new community could see the end of the Genesis 3 curse. It being eliminated within them, it being eliminated within the community, it being eliminated fully in the days coming. And so the new covenant was the foretaste of the final restoration that was coming. The proof that God was going to keep his promises, the proof that the end of the story was close and the foretaste of this final glory that was going to dawn for all creation. And so when the early Christians spread across the face of the earth proclaiming the gospel and preaching the good news, it was this invitation into a new covenant, this invitation to a new way of being, a new relationship, a new way of existing on the earth whereby you are stepping out of the old creation and putting a foot in the new creation and living in the future that is not yet entirely here, but by the grace of God, it has begun already. And so because of that, Christian communities were to be marked by standards of behavior that didn't make sense in the world. Let me tell you, if you are trying to get ahead in the ancient world, loving your enemies not the way to do it. If you're trying to form a stable nation state to compete in the Roman Empire, 
turning your, the other cheek is not solid advice. It's not. There is nothing about the Christian ethic that is laid out in Jesus' teaching and is expected of Christian communities that is good advice for living in the old creation. Because what we see in Jesus' teaching is that that's not what this is about. What God is doing is God is creating a new community to bring about a new world, a new creation, a new way of living, a new way of doing things, a new way of loving each other, a new way of forgiving, a new way of living in relationship to God. And if it looks crazy to the world, it's because the world doesn't realize this is how God meant things to be done from the beginning. And just because sin is common doesn't mean it should be normal. Just because we are so used to the brokenness of the world doesn't mean we should become accustomed to it. And so when the gospel spread across the face of the earth, it was this, come live differently. Leave the world, leave the life to which you are accustomed, leave the darkness to which you are accustomed, leave the sins that you love so dearly, leave the brokenness that you love so dearly and come be a part of something new that God is doing in the world. And the means by which Christians did that varied over the different times, different places, but it was all some form of a covenant. Baptismal covenant, confirmation covenant, covenant that they made when joining a church or joining a body. It was all some form of an individual person standing up and committing with my whole will, with my whole self, I want to be a part of what God is doing. Now, I want, I want to be clear about something because in the course of this whole story that we've talked about, everything has been things what God has done, right? God was the one who initiated the story. God was the one who died on the cross with Jesus. God was the one who started the church. God was the one who extended the invitation. God was the one who did everything. And so if you look in the course of what has happened, 99.999, however long you want to extend that number, percent of everything is the work of God, the invitation of God. And yet, because of what God is doing, he extends an invitation to us to participate to say yes, to step up. And that is our part of the covenant. That is our part of saying, yeah, I want to be a part of what God's doing. That is, that is what happened when thousands of years ago, ancient Christians would stand in front of a church and would say the Apostles' Creed and would walk into a baptismal font and symbolically die and be raised again. That's what was happening. That's what was happening a couple hundred years ago, when, when people who were just living a life, um, who were technically members of a church, but not actually believing it in their hearts, would step up and would join one of these renewal movements that was happening, that's what happened in the early Methodist movement. When people who'd grown up hearing about Christianity, but never actually taking it seriously, would suddenly find themselves on fire with the love of God, and, and, and suddenly understanding that it meant more, that it meant more, and they wanted to be a part of it. And so the 1700s, what happened to a whole lot of them is they would join this thing called the Methodist movement. And they would go and they would repent of their sins and they would start going to class meetings and they would start reading their Bible and they would start singing and they would start living a new 
life. And however this has taken place over the course of centuries, this is how the movement of God has worked. God, for whatever reason, has chosen to work through us. I'm sure if God wanted to accomplish his plan by just sweeping down and doing everything with angels, he could have. But God has chosen to work through us. You know, I've used this example before. I have so many people who ask me why God doesn't just do things. And one of the examples I give is this. I, I have a very um, messy living room because we keep our toys there. And my children are tornadoes. I actually once described my children as if a tornado and a dinosaur had a child. It would look pretty much like my kids. And so you imagine what my living room looks like after all of the toys have been played with. I have the ability to go through and clean that thing in about 30 seconds. I'm really good at it. I can do it really quickly and I can get everything back. But because I want the children to actually learn responsibility and how to clean up after themselves, I make a rule that every so often, a couple times a week, they have to help me do it. And they have to put things back in the box and they have to learn where things go and put things back where they go. And let me tell you, cleaning takes a whole lot longer a whole lot longer when we do it that way because I'm much better cleaner than they are. And you know what? When the room takes longer to clean, it doesn't say anything about how good of a cleaner I am. It says something about the nature of my goal. My goal is not just to get the living room clean. My goal is to create children who know how to clean. God's goal is not just to fix the world. It's to fix you while we're at it. And because of that, he needs your participation. I could clean the living room, but I cannot, cre I cannot create, foster, cultivate the part of my children that can become people capable of cleaning the living room without their cooperation. They have to cooperate, right? They have to agree. They have to participate. And let me tell you, they do like 1% of the work. But they have to do that 1%. And if they don't, then my ultimate goal is going to fail. Friends, God doesn't ask very much of us. He has done 99.9%, .9%, but he does ask 0.1. Not because he can't do it, but because the nature of his goal is such that he needs your participation in order to become the person he wants you to be. He needs your cooperation. He needs you to stand up. He needs you to say yes, and he needs you to commit the way people in covenants have committed for the last thousands and thousands of years. And the way that you do it is different for everyone, but doing it is essential. Doing it is essential. When the Methodist movement first got started, people were so excited that they would throw themselves into these class meetings and they would throw them. Have you ever, have you ever first gotten on um, a bandwagon and been so excited about it? Maybe like you, like you first got into CrossFit <laughs> or you first got into a new budgeting system or something, you first got into some bandwagon and you're like, I found it. And then like your friends, you wouldn't shut up about it. And so everyone heard about it. 
and you talked about it and you did it and you did it and you did it. And then like six months later, it just seemed a little bit less exciting. Ever happened? Of course it does. It's human nature. So people would come into this evangelical movement and they would be so moved and so on fire and so passionate and they would just throw themselves in. And six months later, it's like, that's less exciting. Let me go find the next exciting thing. Maybe there's a CrossFit opening down the street. And so what John Wesley did is he instituted a yearly covenant renewal service, which was basically this. Are you still in? Are you still in? Are you more excited about your hobbies than you are about this? Are you more excited about your work than you are about this? Are you more excited about all these other things going on in your life than you are about this? Because let me tell you, nothing else in your life is going to work if you don't get this. This is your foundation. This is your standing point. This is your starting point. This is what makes everything else in your life function. And you don't get this. You don't get everything else. And so once a year, John Wesley did this. Stand up and recommit. Stand up and recommit. And if you're not going to do it, then leave. But if you are going to do it, do it all the way. And that's where this prayer comes from. I am no longer my own but thine. It's on your um, seat. We'll say it in just a few minutes. But everything about this prayer is designed to get into our spirits and into our souls and into our wills and commit ourselves wholly and fully to the work of God. Because you know what? Christians believe that God's plans are bigger than ours and God's desires are bigger than ours. And God's dreams are bigger than ours. And whatever our resolutions are for 2023, God might have other things in mind and that's not a bad thing. There are people of faith who've been asked by God to go through times of extreme hardship and he had a reason for it. There are people of faith who have been asked by God to go through times of extreme loss, but he had a reason for it. If all we wanted from faith was just to get better and happier and wealthier and more powerful every year, boy, that'd be an easy sell. And yet that is not the gospel because what God is about is something far bigger than our New Year's resolutions. God is about the saving of the world this final new creation that is coming and in using all of us to do it, in using all of us to do it, he uses everything. He uses our poverty and our riches. He uses our strength and our weakness. He uses our happiness and our despair. He uses our, uh, when we stand up and when we fall down, he uses everything. And in committing ourselves to him, what we get is becoming a part of the greatest story of salvation ever told. That when the end comes and all things are made new, we will rise into that dawn, wake up in that, that new future as a part of the body of Christ, as a part of the means by which God brought about the final glorious culmination to the century-old saga of human suffering. And we will have gotten to be a part of it. We will have gotten to be a part of it. So my friends, what we're going to do before communion is I'm going to invite us into a very brief covenant renewal service. And here are the steps. First step is repentance. 
Second step is commitment. And then the third step is we receive communion as a sign of um, sort of the ratification of that commitment. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to invite us to um, have a time of prayer and, um, and confess what we need to confess together. And we'll have a, um, a time where you can confess in your heart of hearts where you have failed, where you have fallen down, where you have gotten bored. And then together we will recommit ourselves to the work of God in 2023. Will you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty Heavenly God, giver of all good gifts. God, there are so many people who have walked the path before us. There are so many people who have given everything. God, there are so many people who have been teachers and missionaries and preachers and martyrs. And so many people who have just lived good, faithful lives so that the gospel might be spread. We here who are in this room are here because people before us have passed on the faith. And so God, we confess to you that we have not taken this as seriously as you did. We confess to you that you gave us more than we gave you. We confess to you that we were dead in our sins, that we could do nothing. And you offered us life. And even when you offered us life, there have been so many times and so many ways that we have turned away from it. And so now, God, hear the silent prayers of our heart as we confess to you the ways in which we have failed you this past year. Almighty God, we are here but for your grace, and on your grace we lean, and on your grace we call. We have been bought by the blood of Christ, we have been covered by the grace of God, and we are here not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And so God, in response to you, we take our place with the saints of old. We take our place in the long line of the faithful who have committed themselves to the kingdom of God. And we offer you all that we have. Join with me now. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven, amen. Would you join with me as we pray together the prayer we've been taught? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.